Will a path to a two seed in the NCAA tournament absolutely exist for the Gonzaga Bulldogs? We'll break down just how this team can get there right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Welcome to fabulous Las Vegas. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can tell the background is a little bit different. This will be home for the next week or so as we watch the WCC tournament. I'm also going to hang out for the Pac-12 and the WAC tournaments as well, so you can get used to the background here at the Excalibur in Las Vegas. We're talking Zags bracketology today. We're also, of course, going to preview Gonzaga's game this evening against the San Francisco Dons, what Gonzaga needs to do to win that game, how they're ended up facing the Dons in the first place, all that good stuff. But it's bracket season. We are less than a week away until Selection Sunday where we will know officially what seed the Gonzaga Bulldogs have earned in the NCAA tournament and where they're going to be playing. Will it be Las Vegas? Will it be Denver? Will it be Albany? Will it be Des Moines? There's a lot of interesting places the Zags could end up. But right now, the conversation centers more on what seed they are going to get. The primary belief right now is that the Zags are going to be on the three seed. That is where basically every bracketologist has them. That's where uh, Joe Lenardi has them at ESPN, Jerry Palm for CBS Sports, Lucas Harkins, Heat Check College Basketball, all kind of, and many, many, many others out there who do brackets right now. Generally, the Zags are are showing up on that three line. Uh, And I think that that's correct right now. And I think that the odds of them, the odds of them being a three seed are very, very high like over 80%, I think, in my mind, uh, of, of the likely outcomes for other teams around them, for Gonzaga themselves, paint a picture of the Zags being a three seed. And I think that's probably right. There is a path for them to be a two seed. There's also a path for them to be a four seed. We're hoping that that doesn't happen. Uh, that would, of course, require uh, potentially a loss to San Francisco on Monday night. Also, a, a loss to St. Mary's could potentially do that if some other teams kind of make some noise in the in their respective conference tournaments. But I think it's more likely Gonzaga ends up a three seed with the possibility of a two seed. I kind of want to talk about what that looks like right now. And we're using Lenardi's bracketology because that is the easiest to access. Uh, It is obviously uh, not always the most perfect one. But uh, right now, the two seeds for Joe Lenardi, Arizona, Baylor, Texas and Purdue. Now, what that means is that the, the final one spot, Houston, Alabama, Kansas, have kind of been locked into three of the four one seeds. That final spot for the one seed has kind of been a battle between a handful of different teams. Uh, Lenardi has Purdue off of that spot. He has UCLA in that spot. I tend to agree UCLA has a really, really strong resume. They ended up winning the Pac-12 by four games. Yes, the Pac-12 is not a particularly good basketball conference this year. That's not a secret. Uh, but winning any major conference by four games is very, very impressive. UCLA has very few bad losses, Pretty much none, uh, quite honestly, on their resume. I think they deserve to be that final one seed. But for what that means for for Gonzaga, they're on the three line alongside Marquette, alongside Kansas State, alongside a struggling Tennessee squad. So it's kind of an, there's a lot of teams all vying for those spots. I think three of the one seeds are pretty much locked in in Houston, Alabama, Kansas. Uh, the only way that I think that changes if Houston loses very early in their conference tournament, which is 
quite honestly, extremely unlikely. But if it were to happen, that could bump them down. I think Alabama's pretty well set unless they lose an egregious game in the SEC. Kansas is pretty much locked in. I don't think much is going to happen there to change that. Uh, UCLA, I suppose if they were to drop an early game to a, a bad Pac-12 team, which there are plenty to choose from, plenty of teams there that, that uh, fall under that category, I think they could drop onto the two line. But for the most part, I think that group is generally well set. For the Zags, though, getting onto the two seed not only requires them beating San Francisco and beating St. Mary's. That, that is obvious. In terms of how, what Gonzaga needs to do to get onto the two line, they need to win their final two games. That's not rocket science. It's not a shock to anybody listening, uh, but it helps them. USF doesn't move the needle a ton. That is a quad three win for Gonzaga if they secure that on Monday night. Uh, they're 109th in net, so barely a quad three win. It's almost a quad two, a neutral site game against teams ranked 51st through 100th in the net would let would be a quad two win for USF. They're just outside of that, so it's a quad three win. Regardless, you win that game. You play St. Mary's on a neutral court. That's a quad one win, guaranteed. You win both those games. You, you've, you've done all you can do. At that point, you kind of have to wait and see what else happens. The big teams to keep an eye on. Tommy Lloyd, the Arizona Wildcats. Arizona has struggled in the last few weeks. We have seen some significant glitches for this program. When they're on, they are on. They are an elite offensive team. Azulis Tabellos, Umar Balo is a dynamic front court. The guard play has been inconsistent. Kirk Creesa, Courtney Ramey, inconsistent. Pella Larson was kind of expected to take a big leap forward for the Wildcats this year. He just hasn't. It just hasn't really happened. They've dealt with some injuries uh, to their backcourt as well this year. But I think it, we saw Arizona lose to Stanford. We saw Arizona lose to Washington State. We saw Arizona lose to Utah. We saw Arizona lose to Arizona State. Some of those losses would be worse than others, but if they were to lose to a Stanford in a Pac-12 tournament, for example, that almost certainly pushes them off the two-line down to the three-line. It kind of has to in that situation. So Arizona's a team to keep a close eye on. It's hard. I don't know how some people, some people feel. Some people might want to root for Arizona. Some people have been passionately not rooting for Arizona, in which case now's your time to shine. This is the time. We, we don't want Arizona to win. The better that they do in the Pac-12 tournament, the less likely Gonzaga is to move up onto that three line. The other two seeds, I'm not sure we'll see as much movement there. Purdue has been has struggled. They, they had a, a pretty rough month of February. They lost some games they hadn't been losing throughout the season, but they still won the Big Ten by three games. They still were the number one seed in the country for many, many, many weeks. Uh, they, I, I would be shocked if they fell below the two line. Now, if they lose their very first game in the Big Ten tournament or if they get spanked uh, in the Big Ten tournament, I think this is very unlikely for the record. But if they were to lose an early game in the Big Ten, they probably stay a two. They, are, they eliminate themselves from the conversation to get that final one seed, which they're still in that conversation right now. But I'd be pretty surprised if they fell too far below that. Texas, I think their big, huge win over Kansas on Saturday, I think that that pretty much solidified them as a two seed. I'd be pretty shocked if they fell onto the three line. In fact, I think it's a little bit more likely that Texas somehow sneaks their way onto that final number one seed. Uh, is it, in my mind, that's more likely than them falling to a three seed. And there's Baylor. And Baylor is another team to keep a very close eye on. Scott Drew's team has been struggling. They have been really a team of runs this year. We've seen three-game losing streaks, four or five-game winning streaks, more three-game losing streaks. They seem to just be a little bit all over the place. Uh, and they don't have – their defense is bad, like bad. I think it's 99th in Ken Palm. 
uh, if I'm not mistaken. So they're barely a top 100 defensive team. They have limited low post presence. Flo Thamba's not a scorer. Caleb Lohner, in news that won't surprise very many who watched him at BYU, he hasn't been much of a factor for the Baylor Bears this season. Uh, so I think we're seeing a team that is really, really, really reliant on their trio of guards, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer, and Keontae George. And that's not a bad group of guys to be super reliant on. They're really, really talented. But it is something where I think that this team has some some flaws that could be exploited in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, and while the Big 12 tournament is just chock full of really, really talented teams, uh, if Baylor were to lose early in that tournament, I think there's a decent chance that they would fall to a three seed as well. So those are kind of the teams to keep an eye on uh, in terms of teams ahead of Gonzaga. Real quickly, some other teams that could move up. If, if teams move down to the three seed, there's no guarantee that Gonzaga is the team that moves up to the two seed either. I think that's a, a co- part of this conversation that's a bit more challenging. Is like, yeah, Arizona could could stumble, could, could lose early in the Pac-12 tournament, and then that opens up a two seed. But Gonzaga is competing with Marquette. They're competing with Kansas State. They're competing with Tennessee for that final spot if it, if it does kind of open up. Marquette, if they win the Big East, I think they get it. I, I think it's really hard to argue against Marquette. They won the Big East regular season. They're primed to, to potentially win the Big East tournament. And if they do that, if they beat teams like Creighton or UConn or Providence or whomever, Xavier, that, that they might face, I think it's hard to take that. I think Marquette probably deserves to be a two-seed if they do that. Like I think they would deserve it, and you'd have to bump somebody. Whether it's Arizona, whether it's Baylor, depending on how their, their tournaments go, I think you kind of have to make a bump there. Kansas State, a bit more interesting. They just lost to West Virginia. Uh, but again, they're in the Big 12. So two or three games in the Big 12, you're almost guaranteed to get a couple quad ones. At worst, some quad two victories there. That could change the conversation for them. Tennessee is about the most unpredictable team in the entire country. That has been true of them since the very beginning of the season. They remain that way. Uh, a team that is totally capable of just running their way through the SEC tournament and making a bunch of noise, a team that's also capable of losing in the first round of Vanderbilt. So we'll just have to kind of see what happens there. All right, we're going to talk about those Dons. We're going to talk about that game coming up on Monday night because while we may be focusing on bracketology, I can promise you Mark Few and company is not. They're focused on how can we make sure we get this victory so we play Randy and the Gales on Tuesday night. We're going to talk about what what the Zags need to do and what the, how we ended up facing San Francisco in the first place, all after a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you have got to try a Built Bar. We're through the holidays. We're here in March, and I know that one of my goals, as always, is to eat a little bit healthier. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they are so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, coconut, almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now, you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's club right head to the nearest walmart today walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a four bar box of cookies and cream double chocolate or coconut puffs at your nearest walmart or sam's club today all right segment two still any patents still locked on zags want to thank all of you for making locked on zags your first listen of the day for your second listen now that it's March, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. We're talking seeding, selection Sunday. We're previewing conference tournaments. We're talking about the teams that have won, 
all sorts of good stuff. It is big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players locked on college basketball. It is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it is time for some basketball in the great city of Las Vegas. Zags versus Dons, Monday, 8.30 p.m., the late start uh, for the Zags. I will be at the game, so if you are there, please let me know. We'd love to come say hi to some folks. But let's, let's talk about how we got here, because the expectation was that Gonzaga was going to play Santa Clara. That's what we assumed uh, for Gonzaga. That's, we assumed that uh, St. Mary's would end up playing LMU in the, their Monday game. They're not. They're playing BYU. Gonzaga's playing San Francisco. Guess what? <laughs> There's only been four teams that have made the NCAA tournament out of the WCC in a very, very long time, and they're the four teams still standing. It looked like it was going to be Zags versus Santa Clara, St. Mary's versus LMU, opportunities for some teams that haven't really been sniffing the big dance for a long time to potentially at least get their way into the, the WCC championship game. Nope. BYU snuffed out LMU and San Francisco in a double overtime thriller takes down the Santa Clara Broncos. Khalil Shabazz, 38. The, he is playing like a man who does not want his collegiate career to end, and who can blame him? He is San Francisco's all-time leader in three-pointers made. He's one of the best players in that program's history. A small, unheralded guard from Rainier Beach, uh, Washington, went to Central Washington for his first year because nobody recruited him, ended up at San Francisco, and became one of the greatest players in franchise program history. Really, really cool story for Khalil Shabazz. Uh, and he's he's going to be playing like a man possessed against the, against the Zags on Monday night. I guarantee you, 38 against Santa Clara. He was 7 of 12 from deep. He tacked on 7 assists, 5 boards, and 4 steals as well. But a lot of this game came down to late-game execution issues for Santa Clara. Brandon Podzemski took a, a pretty ugly shot uh, towards the end of the game with like seven seconds on the shot clock, a deep three. They didn't need it. It wasn't the right shot in the situation. Uh, they still managed to force overtime outside of that. Uh, but they just they just made mistakes down the stretch that I think ended up costing them uh, that game, which is a little surprising. Santa Clara is a very well-coached team. Herb Sendek's a very talented uh, coach, and I think that this team – Probably is the better team, probably deserved, quote unquote, to be in that uh, semifinal game. But San Francisco took, took care of business, and now they get to face the Dons, or excuse me, they get to face the Zags. And the Zags are 4-1 and one against the Dons all time in the WCC tournament. They have played them five times, 4-1. Uh, and one. The one loss was in 1998, and it was a championship game. The Dons beat Gonzaga in 1998 to win the WCC title. It's been a long time since a team not named Gonzaga won that tournament, uh, or at least was, you know, they, they started their streak shortly after that and have just been absolutely dominant ever since then. So a uh, little bit of a history between these two teams. We'll see if the Zags can move up to 5-1 and one, uh, all time against the Dons in the WCC tournament. Uh, about the Dons, we've seen them twice already this year, so I think most people have a general sense of, of what this team is about. Obviously, Khalil Shabazz, Tyrell Roberts are their stud guards. Zane Meeks, Josh Coonan are, are kind of their front court players. They don't have a dominant low post player like they did uh, last year with Yuhen Misalski, and I think that that's hurting them. Uh, they're 100th in the Ken Palm rankings right now. Their offense is 93rd. Their defense is 124th. So a fairly well-balanced team, good on both ends of the floor, not elite at either. Of course, the Zags won the previous two matchups. We know that. That is not a secret. Uh, the Zags won the first one because of Rasir Bolton. And quite honestly, they won the second one because of Rasir Bolton. He does not like the Dons, and he let them know that. Uh, the first game uh, was a tight one all the way through. Of course, Drew Timmy had that uh, back-to-the-basket spin move lay-in that would have been the game winner. He missed it. Rasir Bolton came crashing in, 
got the tip in at right before the buzzer, basically celebrated, cheered, got screamed at by a fan in a green sweatshirt who became very notorious throughout the rest of the season. Pretty much anytime USF played, the announcers brought it up in some capacity. Uh, and I think it's fair. It was a pretty intense moment, I guess. I'm trying to think of the right word to use there. I, he screamed right in Bolton's face. Rasier did nothing. Didn't even act like he heard it, which was fantastic. Kudos to him for that. Uh, but yeah, this kind of thing that just can't happen. But you know what? It seemed to motivate Rasier because he came out the next time these two teams played. The Zags won by 99, or excuse me, they won 99 to 81. They did not win by 99. Uh, and Bolton was fantastic in that game. He had 23 points. He jawed at USF's bench a little bit as well. Like he was letting them know. Uh, and I think that you could see some residual uh, feelings coming out for Rasier uh, about that game. But Zags 2-0 against the Dons this year. This is a good USF team. It's not as good as last year's team with Jamari Bouye, uh, of course, Masalski, who I mentioned, and Todd Golden, who is now the head coach uh, for the Florida Gators in the SEC. But Chris Gerlison's done a good job. I think this team is going to be – they're going to be a tough out on Monday night. They're also, I think, going to be a, a, a solid program going forward. But uh, the Zags 2-0 against them this year, I, I don't see any reason why they won't end up 3-0 and and playing in that national champ or in that WCC championship game on Tuesday. But there are some things they need to do. And what's what we're going to talk about in the third and final segment of the show is what do the Zags need to do to secure a victory and move on to a championship coming up right after this. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags, still talking Zags Don's Monday night. Orleans Arena, Las Vegas. It's going to be a fun one, 8.30 p.m. tip uh, for the Zags against the Dons. And I want to talk about what are the keys for Gonzaga to secure a victory. What are the things I want to see them do or I think that they should do uh, in order to make sure they not only secure a victory here, but are also as prepared as possible to take on Randy Bennett and the Gales on Tuesday night. We're assuming that that's who's going to win. BYU could. They could. You never know. They could, uh, but St. Mary's is the better team, and I think they're, the better team is going to win as it often happens in the WCC tournament. All right, five keys. Number one, we already kind of talked about it in that second segment. Let Rasir Bolton cook. Let the man do what he wants to do because this is one of his final collegiate games of all time. I think that's an important note. You kind of want guys to go out on a high note, and it shouldn't be the, the number one priority necessarily, but for Rasir Bolton, He's already done it against this team. He has feelings about playing against this team, and he's proven he can do it. I mean, 23 points were effortless in that second game against the Zags or against the Dons at home uh, in Spokane. I don't know if it's still personal for him. I don't know how he's feeling about it, but I, I think that you you get him ball screen actions early in the game. You let him go downhill. You let him go towards the basket. USF doesn't have a rim protector. They don't have a lot of uh, low post presence really at all. And I think if you can get high ball screens, get Bolton coming off those screens, moving towards the basket, he's really, really, really unstoppable. And if you can get situations where you can get him open looks from downtown as well, uh, stretch that defense a little bit, move people around. I think that does some really, really good things for Gonzaga as well. And on that same note, key number two, let's get Julian Strother involved early, early. Strother loves hooping in Las Vegas. I, he loves it. He's from this town. We saw him dominate in the WCC tournament last year. Uh, he was kind of in the middle of a slow. He finished the season poorly last year, played poorly in the NCAA tournament, but he, he shined in Vegas. We're hoping, of course, that the other parts of that story from last year don't show up again this year. He has obviously not been struggling to finish out conference play. In fact, he's been playing some of the best basketball of his entire collegiate career, and now he gets to go to Vegas. He gets to go home. I think that Julian Strother is going to have a monster game 
potentially two monster games at the Orleans Arena. I think he's going to play really, really, really good basketball. You guys remember when Killian Tilly basically took over Las Vegas a few years ago? I think Julian Strother might do that again. Killian Tilly's this is my city comments are going to mean a little bit more from Julian Strother because with no disrespect to one of my favorite Zags of all time, Las Vegas isn't really Killian Tilly's town, but you know who it is? It is. It's Julian Strother's. It is his town, and I think he's going to come out and play like it. Uh, I think he, he only had eight the last time these two teams played. Uh, again, Rasir Bolton really took off in that game, and I think that the Zags kind of let him and let Drew Timmy do their thing. But I think Julian Strother stretching the floor, forcing their defensive players to come out away from the rim. It gives Drew Timmy more room to operate. It also gives the those some of those downhill screens, the ball screen actions, more, more opportunities to score as well. If Strother's playing way away from the rim – and Drew Timmy set the screen for Rasir Bolton. There's not as much help down around the rim, or if they're, if if Strother's defender kind of sags off and helps tries to help there, Bolton's smart enough. He's savvy enough. He'll find him, and we'll get an open look from three. And I, I just don't think Julian Strother's going to miss too many open looks from threes while he's playing in Las Vegas. So I think that this is a good opportunity for both Bolton and Strother to really take off in a significant way and kind of lead the charge in this game against uh, against the Dons. Number three, sticking with kind of the guard conversation, uh, except switching it over to talking about USF's guards. We need pressure. Pressure the guards early and often. Whether we put back that one-two-two zone trap that worked really well against St. Mary's, hard to say. I don't know that that will necessarily have as big of an impact on San Francisco, in part because when St. Mary's beat the trap, they just kind of set up into their normal offense. Whereas when San Francisco beats the trap. I think there's a good chance that they're going to attack the basket and they're going to have numbers and they're going to be able to score. And I think the first few times you run a trap and San Francisco beats it and gets a lay in or gets a dunk or gets an easy open look, you probably pull out of that trap because it's just not working. So we'll be interested to see if Gonzaga does attempt to do that or not. We, we see a lot of games where maybe they don't do the full one, two, two zone trap the way that they did against St. Mary's for like 37 minutes of that game. But I think we'll see occasional trapping. Maybe it's when Hunter Salas is in the game and Anton Watson and those two guys can go set a trap, uh, that kind of situation. But I think Khalil Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts are the two best players on San Francisco's team, and it's not particularly close. Get the ball out of their hands. Make them give it up. If Zane Meeks beats you, and look, he can. He can. He had three threes against them the last time they played. He's a good ball player. If he's beating you, fine. Then you can make an adjustment and you can figure it out. But I would rather make him beat you than let Khalil Shabazz do what he does. I have flashbacks still of the LMU game earlier in the season, the loss for the Zags, where they kind of just let Cam Shelton dictate the pace, dictate the end of the game, hold on to the basketball. They didn't try to get the ball out of his hands. I think that for Gonzaga, that same strategy needs to apply against Khalil Shabazz, against Tyrell Roberts to a lesser extent, but still as well, and force other players on the Dons to beat you, because I do not think that they can. Number four, we're still sticking with the guards. It is a guard day here on the Locked On Zags podcast. We're talking Malachi Smith. Let's keep Malachi Smith rolling. Malachi Smith has been really, really good the last five games. Over the last five, he's averaged 10.5 points, 5.2 rebounds, and he has shot an even 40% from deep. Sixth man of the year in the WCC won that award over Rudy Williams at BYU. It'd be really nice to see Malachi Smith continue to do what he has done the last few games, bringing a player like that off the bench who can immediately score. He can immediately add an impact on the defensive end of the floor. He's tough. He's physical. You look at Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts, they're smaller guards. They're some of the smaller guards in the conference. 
I think Malachi Smith's size, he's 6'4", he's 210, he looks every bit of it, uh, pushing those guys around, being really physical with them. Maybe he picks up some fouls. I'm fine with that. Go be a bit of a bruiser. And offensively, his ability to get into the lane, to use that little floater, that little teardrop shot that he has, muscle his way around the basket, grab offensive rebounds, grab defensive rebounds, get out in transition, all the things that make Malachi Smith such a valuable member of this team, I think could really play up in Las Vegas against the San Francisco Dons. I think that they don't have a lot that matches up particularly well with him. And he hasn't played all that great against them in the last few games. So maybe they have a strategy that that I'm not seeing. He only had four points the last time they played, but he was one of five from the field. He had four rebounds and three assists in 17 minutes. So he didn't really have like a terrible game by any stretch of the imagination. He just wasn't a significant score. Now, Zags hung 60 on the Dons in the first half and kind of coasted in the second half. So I'm not sure that the the data from that game matters all that much, but I think Malachi Smith is a tough matchup for the Dons. I think the way that he's been playing lately combined with the matchup here should make this a nice game for him to, to have another 15, 18, 20 points and really make a big impact in this game. And the final key, build an early lead and don't let USF back into it. It's easier said than done. Obviously, this is a team that's fighting for their literal lives in this game. They are not going to go down without a fight. They are going to play and claw and scratch and do everything they can to stay in this game. But for Gonzaga, they got another game less than 24 hours later. This thing will tip off about 21 and a half hours before they play likely St. Mary's, potentially BYU in the WCC championship game. The Zags have done this before, and they've done this before and before and before and before they do this a lot. This is not uncommon for them to play two games back to back with the second one being a championship, and it doesn't seem to impact them all that much. But whatever you can do to not force Drew Timmy and Anton Watson to play 38 minutes. Let's see if we can find a way where we have a lead at the eight-minute mark, the 12-minute mark, the 10-minute mark in the second half, and we feel pretty good about, hey, we don't need to play Drew Timmy right now, even maybe even for the rest of the game. I don't think that the Zags are going to be up 30 with eight minutes to go. I just That's unlikely because USF's a pretty good team. But if they're up 15 and they've kind of maintained this 15-point lead and not really let USF back into it, maybe you can give Drew four minutes, and maybe he has to come back come back in because the Dons haven't the pesky Dons are still around I don't know but I think that there's an opportunity to let those starters rest a little bit I don't think you want to your goal shouldn't be oh we only want to play Drew 20 or 25 max or Strother's only playing 25 max you got to be more flexible than that because at the end of the day you have to win this game you have to win this game but I think that if you feel confident that you're going to win you feel like you're in a good spot and that's where like getting that big lead and maintaining it then you feel more comfortable then you can give Ben Gregg an extended run in the second half you can give Hunter Salas an extended run in the second half over Bolton or Strother. You can give maybe Efton Reed gets an extended run or at least a run, gets a little bit of action. I think he's a player that the Zags are going to want to be healthy and in game shape by the time they get into the NCAA tournament. He's probably not right there because he's missed three or four games with the back injury. So getting him some action, maybe it's only three or four minutes, but some kind of movement, game shape action would be really nice for him as well. And heck, maybe we can get Dom in. Get Dom in for the last five minutes of the game, get him get him going a little bit, see what he can do uh, as a part of, the, of Gonzaga's future. Again, this is assuming Gonzaga feels pretty confident about where they are from a win perspective, but it would be lovely to see those guys get some action, to see Bolton, Strother, Timmy, and those guys maybe only play 28 minutes, maybe 31 minutes, something like that, just a little bit less so that they're a little bit fresher when they take on likely the Gales on Tuesday night. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Plenty more coming your way this week. Of course, we're going to talk about the championship game. We're going to talk lots more bracketology. We'll keep you updated 
on what's going on with the women's basketball team. And eventually we're going to talk about the new commissioner of the WCC, Stu Jackson, something we didn't get to today, but that I would like to talk to you guys about more at length later in the week. Also check out the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast if you have not done so yet. It is free and available wherever you get podcasts. It is on YouTube as well. Go hit that like button. Go hit that subscribe button. Go leave a comment, review on iTunes, all of that good stuff. Thank you all for listening. And here we are in Las Vegas ahead of Monday night's championship semifinal game. And we're going to offer a big hearty go Zags.